Hey everyone. You know, when we think of the business world, you can kind of fall into two ways of thinking. You could think of, you know, the Elon Musks of the world or these people who are these like total icons who rewrite the code. But then you can also flip it over and think about people who are just considered to be, you know, the people who follow the rules, stuck in the day-to-day, kind of the common rat race. I want to suggest to you there's a different way of looking at things. And that's about letting that kind of rebellious spirit that exists in a lot of us work for you in the workspace. And that's what we're going to talk about today with our guest. You know, really allowing yourself to push the envelope in the right way can lead to some incredible results. So, my name is Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, Today, we are talking about rebellion, the rebellious attitude and its place in the work world. We have someone who I believe totally encapsulates that, uh, and it's Fred Wax. Um, You know, Fred and I have known each other now just for a little bit, and our first phone call was just a great business phone call. But as soon as I said, like, yeah, you know, I, I grew up playing in bands, we totally diverted. And the next thing I know, he's playing Sex Pistols in the background. We're talking about different musicians. And I realized I was out of my depth because me as someone who sings in bands and kind of plays guitar was speaking with someone who is an actual musician who actually knows stuff about uh, music. It was really cool. So uh, I'm real excited about what we're going to be talking about today. And Fred, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm really pleased to be here. And we're talking about... uh some great passions that I have and uh, music happens to be uh, pretty much the biggest passion I have because almost everything I do revolves around uh, music and revolves around listening, playing, researching and understanding uh, how music, music is such a fundamental part of uh, my life and uh, should be part of everybody's life, to be honest with you. Uh, it, uh, it gives you a sense of being, gives you a sense of history and I don't know anybody who can't revert back to thinking about what they were listening to at certain key moments of their lives. Oh, man. Like, you can see it. And of course, our listeners aren't, aren't going to be able to, to see it. But like, I have such a huge smile on my face. And so does Patrick. And so do you, because we're talking about something we're all passionate about. And we can see that clear connection between uh, music, creativity, the kind of that, having that attitude that comes from it and being a good business person. And honestly, that's basically why I started my company and why I started uh, this podcast. So let's take a step back because there's going to be some people listening who don't know what you do. So what can you tell us about your career as a starting point for someone who, who doesn't know about your, uh, what you do today and your background? Sure. I'm a, I'm a real estate guy. I, I started a um, third generation real estate guy. My father and grandfather and my brother were all in the business and uh, building apartment buildings, shopping centers, industrial units, et cetera. And uh, I went to school and the highlight of school for me is when I came home at four o'clock and put my headphones on. 
the, the time between nine o'clock and three thirty were just a shit time for me. I, I I didn't really take much interest, and it was during the periods you know we didn't have really uh, personal music devices back then. I did have a cassette recorder, and I remember uh, listening to uh, Procol Harum, and they said they're going to piss on somebody's door in grade eight, and I thought that was really cool. So um, and uh, you know just basically listening to the first time people's uh, profanity and and uh, it, it was just a great rebellious part of myself. Uh, never really was a great student, but knew that in order to achieve the things you need to, you have to actually uh, make some coin and, and, and work. I was, I was an art major. Mm-hmm. I played the drums as a kid, but never stopped listening to music. And my closest friend uh, in high school was Sam Snyderman, Sam the Record Man's son. So Jason, who basically was uh, a phenomenal musician um, and actually uh, basically uh, played every instrument perfectly, uh, finally got to uh, realize his dreams uh, when he turned 61 and became Ensign Broder. Before that, Jason was in uh, the, um, uh, he played on Presto with Rush, his mm-hmm. very, very close friends with Getty. And I just, and he introduced me to an amazing, amazing group of different musicians and to music. Uh, I saw, uh, and I think this really what got me going is I saw Zeppelin perform uh, live uh, before they introduced the fourth album. They got booed on stage for playing Stairway to Heaven. Uh, uh, I saw Pink Floyd introduce Dark Side of the Moon. I saw Frank Zappa and the Mothers, which is the Mothers 72 album, basically. That's where I discovered Ainsley Dunbar. And I, uh, I saw uh, Neil Young on the, I was on the uh, Massey Hall album. And so I got to see everybody in their prime. And I remember even when I saw the Stones, I was 18. I thought they were too old already to see. Uh, little I know that I'd see them another five times after that. So at that time, I, the bands I was listening to were mostly Alice Cooper and Grand Funk and um, uh, the Stooges. And then I really got into David Bowie and to Todd Rundgren and uh, the band. And it started, it's just started like I would listen to music and I'd start looking at the composition, like arranging, like arranging to me was almost everything. So then I got into listening to Steely Dan and, and how the engineering was so important and Alan Parsons, how important it was to the Beatles in terms of uh, doing Abbey Road and doing Dark Side of the Moon. Or listen to Bobby Ezrin, who I became later uh, an acquaintance of, who basically produced uh, the Guess Who, and then Alice Cooper, and then Lou Reed, and then did The Wall, and then did uh, co-wrote Beth by Kiss. So I've been really, really fortunate. And what's really nice is that from an early age, my kids were um, really got into music. I have four daughters, and I remember when my daughters were in university, I we were looking for them. And they called and said, oh, we're just, uh, they were on the killer's tour bus, um, my two daughters. And my daughter, and one of my daughters was hanging out with uh, Adam Levine. And they were listening to, like, like I, I, I won in a lottery tickets to the Emmys. And so they went to uh, the Emmy, Emmys and then they went to the after, you know, after show. Uh, and I always encouraged it because I think that, you know, your people should be open to, you know, uh, you know children being children. Uh, having fun and, and, you know, and what they did in terms of the uh, other scene and other way I, I didn't want to know about because I didn't want to know about what I was up to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So to say you're a real estate guy. <laughs> well, no, 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 because I actually want to follow this. I want to talk about about um, when he said that like you you weren't you weren't into school. You didn't like school. I, I want to get in on a second. So like for you to say you're a real estate guy, anyone who knows you, they'd kind of like you know laugh and smile. It's like you've built a very cool company and you have a very storied career and actually building your company and doing what you did, huge risk. You know, you went out and you did something and it was rebellious. It was like tough. It was scary. It was punk. It was like kind of a, a punk thing to do. The interesting thing is um, we, a lot of us grow up with the idea kind of beat into our head. Um, if you don't study, if you're not super into school, if you're not a studious, if you don't go to university, if you don't get an MBA, if you don't do these things, you're not going to be successful. And not only are you not going to be successful, you're not going to have enough money to live. You're not going to live the right kind of lifestyle. And I find, I mean, I couldn't disagree that with that more. And so what I find really compelling about your story is when you say like, God, the time between nine and three was like hell until I got back. So tell us about the role, like let's leave music out of it for a second. The role that like formal education has played in your career. It hasn't. <laughs> I mean, that the, tr the truth is, you know, uh, Dylan had, has the best line, you know, you don't have to be a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Hell yeah, absolutely. Okay. So you don't have to be a meteorologist to understand uh, the, the, what's prevailing, what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I was always street. I was always street smart. I was always making deals, uh, trading this and doing that. I was always talking up with the teachers so I didn't have to do anything, or talking up people so they do their homework for me. You know, I, I did what needed to be done to get to, to not to fail, but I certainly wasn't getting anything out of it. Uh, what I got out of it is I went to U of T, met my wife, so and she was basically. She did, you know, that discipline and that arrangement and that partnership is what gave me the catalyst to achieve in terms of on the concrete side. But I'm a, I'm a gem, I'm a true Gemini. I've got this flighty part about me and then I've got this staid part of me and, and they're forever battling. And it all depends what time of the year, what time of the day and what time of the hour that one's not, you know, fucking with each other. So, yeah. um, uh, but I think that, you know, from a form, I, I, I read more now than I ever, I've ever read before. Mm -hmm. I study more than I've ever studied than, than I ever did before because I want to, mm -hmm. not because I'm sitting in a class and, and A plus B equals C. So what is D equal? Well, who right. the fuck no? I mean, yeah, yeah. it didn't mean anything to me. Yeah. So. And man, so when you hear those kind of traditional ideas of like, oh, you know, where'd you go to school or what degrees do you have? Um, I have a B, I have a BA. Oh, no, not, not. Not for you. I'm saying like when you hear people talk about that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, when somebody says they have a BA, actually I tell most people they should be CAs because accountants run the world in the public sector. Right. But having a law degree or having a, 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 a master's in business, I couldn't give a shit. Yeah. And, but it's an interesting idea, right? And I know, I know you see it all the time where people feel that they have to have certain degrees and, and, and it is the truth. Like, I mean, to be even considered for some jobs, you have to have all of these degrees. And I'm not saying that that doesn't matter. And I'm not saying that there's some places that it doesn't, but it does seem like we've overcorrected from a, a professional point of view. And I'm going to give you an example. Um, when I first became a therapist, when I was like a young, young, young therapist, you did not need to have any advanced degrees in psychology to work as a counselor. And so to work at, let's say, like a psychologist or something, you needed to have advanced degrees. But to do like kind of um, basic, good, you know, community-based uh, therapeutic practice, you didn't need anything. 
And all you needed to do was get, uh, like, I think it was like a certificate in it in which you went to school for, for a year. And uh, you had a lot of like lived experience. If you had like a background in addiction, that would help. But basically it was like people who were well-intentioned, who went and got a little bit of education. And it was like, the main thing was that you got people, you understood people and that you were able to sit and learn. And then I saw a big sea change uh, over time where it was, you know, you got to have a master's degree, you have to have this and that. And it's not that I disagreed with that because I think a lot of the advanced therapeutic understanding can really help, certainly be of help. But something that I saw was really interesting was all these people who actually are like, they just get people, like they just get people and they would be incredible therapists. They suddenly had this wall that was put up in front of them where it's like, oh no, you need to go to school for like minimum six years to be able to get a job like this. And if you're someone who doesn't have that kind of uh, let's say you're later in life or you don't have that kind of money or um, your life, you maybe have, you have kids or complex family structure or all sorts of things. Those are barriers. And I feel that in a lot of cases, saying you must have these degrees to get a type of job is a barrier to really talented people doing incredible stuff. It also is not a guarantee for success, all right. those degrees. Mm -hmm. I mean, people think if they've done their time and they, they put in all the time they have, that they're guaranteed to be successful, which is horseshit. Because yeah. I've met with so many, I've, I've, I've addressed people at York University. I've sat on panels like Dragon's Den for, uh, for, for real estate, et cetera. And you get these people there that can't have a discussion with you. They can't look you in the eye. They can espouse theory, but they can't communicate. And I have no time for that. I just don't. I just, if you can't sit there and present your case, you've got my, you've got my ear. Okay, you've got my ear. Keep me interested in you. Tell me why. Yeah. It's compelling. What are you going to do and what am I going to do for each other in terms of making my enterprise or your enterprise better? Tell me yeah. what's, 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 mm -hmm. you know, sell me. And, and yeah. you can't learn that in a textbook. I'm sorry. Totally. You, you, you were a success because you took your life experience, took it, made practical application of your life experience, were empathetic and sympathetic to your, the plight that you went through and you wanted to help people. That's a fucking degree, okay? It's not, it's not about uh, any sort of PhD or this or that. You took your real life experience and you converted it to actuality. And that's about, that, and that it takes personal and people skills and not everybody has it. Right. That's right. the other thing is you can sit there and tell your story and I can tell my story, but people are prone to have certain attributes and the question is, how do you draw them out of out of and 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 you have the ability to do that? Yeah, uh, I I couldn't agree more. And again, I want to be really clear. I don't believe either you and I are diminishing higher education. Or these, no, but but those aren't those shouldn't be in a lot of cases the gatekeepers to people being able to enter professions or get jobs. And they're certainly not indicators of someone being able able to do something or even a promise of success. And I will say uh, from a guy who worked in the not-for-profit sector for many, many years, some of the worst counselors I ever met, some of the worst therapists I ever met had the most advanced degrees. And there were some, some of the best therapists I ever met had the, the least kind of formal education. And there's, there's a middle ground between the two of them. All right. So let's get into your career a little bit. And we don't, you know, we'll go wherever you want. But what I'm really interested in is from when you first got into it and as you progressed, how interested or... So my first job was as an office boy. I was making $12,500 at Royal LePage and waited to get in uh, to, to the brokerage business. And I waited to get in because they had the best learning program. And I needed 
I needed to learn how to first get up in the morning. Uh, I, one thing university doesn't teach you is how to get up at eight o'clock or seven thirty in the morning. Right. So let's start with that discipline, getting up and actually getting and, 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 and shaving and putting on a, a suit and all those other conventional things that were, you don't do in university. I mean, so that was the first thing. But then I realized that a lot of the things I like to do, you have to make money to do it. And you have to be, and to make money, you have to be successful and you have to be focused. And you have to put in your hours and you have to work hard and you have to roll up your sleeves. And I did it. And I immediately recognized that the person that hired me wasn't the person that was going to take me to the next level. And I sought out um, the person who, like me, was listening to music. We both happened to be, we went to the Genesis concert together back in 81. And uh, we started talking music. We both liked The Who. Uh, I would bring in stuff, like bring in some of my tapes, and he'd bring in some of his, and we started talking music. Well, this guy was the answer, and he had his most successful year with me being his assistant. And it was the first time I was making $12,500. He wrote me a check for a bonus for $500. And that was the first time anybody said to me, you're doing well. Because at school, it was always, you, you know, I'm underachieving. You could do so much. You're so much, so much smarter than, than what you are. All these other things that didn't compel me or motivate me. But this was the first time someone said, and then it was a real, it's a little light bulb went on. Do well, make money. Yeah. and make money, get my first kit since I've been a kid. Okay, go see a concert that I want to go see. Yeah. Um, go, you can walk into Sam's and you can buy as many uh, cassettes uh, as you want. You don't have to worry about buying one because that's what your allowance lets you do. So it, just, it was just that. So I, I end up going into being a salesman my first year. I make my first $100,000. I'm 24 years old. Hundred thousand dollars, twenty-four, nineteen eighty-three. A lot of money back then. I was president's round table, which was the biggest award they gave, and I had my own office with uh, with a window. One of my clients decides to hire me, and they come back to me. And said, "I said, what are you going to give me?" I said, I, "I'm already making this. I've got." I said, "You're going to give me a balcony." I said, no, "I'm going to go out and I'm going to go out and be a principal." So <laughs> I was a, I was I was cocky. I was cocky, and I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I was doing really, really well. And so I went on to my first job and made, did really, really well. Made seven figures before I was 30. Living the house I live in right now is driving a Jaguar. And then I got kicked in the teeth uh, because my daughter almost died. And that put a real, put, it brought me back down to earth, gave me hubris and humility. And I realized how quickly things can change. And, that, and I got into religion which I still am into religion. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my daily routine is I pray in the morning and I work out in the afternoon every day. Mm -hmm. uh, so mental and physical balance. And the, the praying in the morning connects me to God. Uh -huh. And I'm not saying it's for everybody. It's, it's for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it puts me, it puts perspective that life is bigger than just Fred Wax. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, all right, man. Oh, go ahead. And, 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 you know, it's again, go back to Dylan. Uh, you have to serve someone. It may be the preacher, it may be the devil, but you got to serve someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I believe that there's a, there's an infinite being that's bigger than us, and that shit happens. And and it put it, that kick in the teeth was a really good. I needed uh, because my twenties were meteoric from going from this 
a school fucking punk that basically didn't, did, didn't care about anything to being extremely successful. I, the, I, the house I bought, I used to answer the door and people would say, are your parents home? So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's how, and I, had, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and I cut my, and I cut my hair and uh, yeah. anyways, it was, it was, it was good, but I was still always listening to my music. Okay. Music never, so this is what I, never, this is what I need to know. Yeah. Um, the music was always, if I was, if I was in a bad uh, state, I put on an album. If I was in a good state, I put on an album. I yeah. still, at the end of the day, when I'd be putting on music and, you know, and, you know, we didn't have YouTube back then. So I couldn't listen to outtakes of an album in 16 different ways. I couldn't research on, on Google, everything I wanted to know, but I knew, I knew the personnel of every band. I knew who the drummers were, the changeovers. I knew that, you know, and I saw like, again, because I saw some of the actual best, I, I saw Springsteen play for four and a half hours in 1976. What? Yeah. Wow. Okay. No warm up band. I saw Gabriel play his first four concerts um, uh, where he, he ran out of material. So he'd have to play Genesis songs. Um, you know, it was, it was, I went to see at the, at the music hall, I went to see uh, Link Ray and, uh, and Robert Gordon. I don't know if you're into rockabilly at all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Link Ray was one of the greatest guitarists around. Uh, of, of the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, the first concert I ever went to my wife with, George Thurgood and the Destroyers at Convocation Hall. Crazy. Okay, so I gotta, I gotta ask you this. Your story is compelling to me because, of course, like I see a lot of parallels between what I've done and, and what you've done. You've done it on a, a totally different level. For me, rebellion has been a blessing and a curse. Um, I have been able to do things that nobody I've done things that nobody would even have thought about doing. And I've had in directions that like, where people are like, damn, how's that going to be successful? And it's been great because now the people who know me and the people who work with me, when they see me do something new, it's not like, Oh, that's not going to be successful. They're like, huh, it'll be interesting to see how he makes that successful. So now I've got enough of a track record that people trust when I had a new direction, it's going to work out. But it's also, it's kicked, you know, use your phrase, it's kicked me in the teeth. I've had really tough battles uh, professionally. And a lot of those battles were being about like too rebellious, too willful, too self-assured, too confident. And times where I deserved, like I actually did know, and times where actually I was totally wrong. And the middle ground between where I was right, but I was being too pushy about it. So being rebellious has worked for me overall, but I've had some hard times. What about you? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I've worked for a trust company that went broke, that had to go into receivership, and I worked for a life company that did. And it was, you know, I sat down with the support staff, and basically they, uh, you know, I was dealing with the receiver twice. And quite frankly, it wasn't, wasn't a part of my psyche to be sitting there with, uh, with the support staff. And so I just left, and I walked away from bonuses, walked away from money. And, and I'd made enough fuck you money by the time and, <laughs> and, 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 and had my own resources that I was okay. But I, I was going to say, and, it, and I was sorry to interrupt you, but I was going to say, if you would have met me back then, I would have had you read a book called Indignation by, mm. by Philip Roth. And indignation is anybody who gets too self-righteous, who believes that, that, that they're doing something on a matter of principle, needs to read this book. Okay. Because it puts it, it's it's a it's a cautionary tale, mm-hmm. and it is a phenomenal book. And I've referred to it many times 
when I feel that I always have to be right, and I know I'm right, but I gotta bite my tongue and yeah. say, you know, you don't always have to be right. You don't always have to be the smartest one in the room. You may be, but you don't have to let everybody know it. Okay. And that comes Tell, with sorry. that, and you have that comes with maturity. Okay. Tell me about that balance, though, especially now, because, like, I mean, inarguably, you've been very, very successful. But I you... never live by it because because I'll tell you the best point, uh, the best way. I was in line to be the CEO of the largest real estate trust in Canada. And the person who was the CEO didn't want to step down. And I either had accepted having the second best job in real estate or, or not. I was making millions of dollars a year. And I said, I, I made a decision on a Friday. I wasn't happy. I came home. I spoke to my wife and I said, honey, I'm leaving. Because you can't leave. And I said, I won't leave unless I, I have a better opportunity. Sunday night, I called John Reddy, who's now my partner. I said, here's what I want. This much equity, this title, my daughter to come work, who's working there right now, and, and this base salary. And that was it. It took, took 24 hours. I, I had to wait till my boss came back, and, and I left. But nobody with the right mind would have done what I did. Yeah. Nobody. Uh, All but, right. but, 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 but I wasn't prepared to be second. And so what happened from there? You made this decision. You make this, you know, weekend decision. I made I made less money initially, mm -hmm. but I was way happier and way mm -hmm. more fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And now I'm making more money, mm -hmm. and I'm more fulfilled. And I'm and right now you don't want to be in in working for any of those old companies because they're all for shit right now. And uh, the money was. I also recognized also this is where sometimes you can be the smartest guy in the room. I recognized that I had made my money. I made tens of millions of dollars in this company. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that the company was not going to continue to grow that way. So you also mm -hmm. have to decide, are you going to be the entrepreneur? Or are you going to be the manager? Yeah. And, All right, and, so. that's, and that's, that's, that's a decision I made. Okay. So along this line, cause like, I mean, and when I say you have a storied career, it's, it's a cool story. But if we're thinking about people listening to this, What's the balance? And you talk about this book, like indignation and, and the lessons you've learned. What's the balance between being rebellious and foolish? You, you can never, okay. When you have responsibility and you're not, you're not just a single person mm -hmm. and you've got a partner mm -hmm. and you've got children and dependents, mm -hmm. you don't have that luxury. Mm -hmm. You have to think it out. You have to have a reasonable chance of making it and making the response where you don't have that affordability just to say, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Life doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And I never would have walked away if I wasn't presupposing and again, going to being the weatherman, knowing that what my next step's going to be, always know what your next step's going to be. Mm -hmm. Always, you know, interesting. My old boss always said a wise rabbit has many holes. Mm. You, and, and I, that's a great line because in the end, you always have to know which path you want to take, and you should always have that ability. You should always create that for yourself, but mm -hmm. never, never put your the people who are depending on you in jeopardy. Even if you means to, to it's a, it's it's a hard on your mental health or whatever. Suck it up and do what needs to do right, and figure it out, and work with your partner or your posse or whoever you or your advisors, your friends to figure out how you resolve it. You just can't go like, you just can't throw, you can do that when you're 20. You can do yeah. that when you're 25, you can do it if you get married later in life. 
But mm-hmm. when you have someone that basically is dependent on you, it, you I, I believe in, that's the responsible side of you. Yeah. All right. So we got, and I think this is like super sage advice because when we hear about, especially in my role, like I hear about people being like, oh, you know, like I want to stand up for what's right or, you know, like those guys don't know. And I, and I do talk a lot about the difference between being rebellious and being foolish. And I love how you just frame that up. It's that, hey, you always got to do right by the people who depend on you. And if you're okay enough that if you were to take a risk, then yeah, you could be a little bit more rebellious. But if you're not okay enough, if you're not stable enough, if you don't have many holes as the rabbit, you don't know where your next step is, you got to be more cautious. What can you tell us about keeping, still kind of keeping that real, like, you know, like if you're, if you're a person who basically, you can't have the foolishness, you can't just follow that path. How can you be a little bit more true to yourself in that rebellious nature while also staying safe? You got any thinking on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's where your di- diversification comes in. Okay. Um, you want to be bold, take your boldness and go out and do work in the community. You want you want to you want to uh, do do something for for a charitable organization that means something to you. Uh, raise more money than anybody's ever done. Do an event that nobody's ever done. Go do a deal that is outside the box. There's millions of ways conventionally that you can have your creativity and still deal uh, and 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 have the outcomes that are more than just yourself. And and I I learned basically. You know, I, I was I was never a great athlete. I was okay. I was an okay musician. I was a very good artist. I had the great height and a scholarship to OCA. But but I never. The truth is, I was extremely competitive. It's competitive in business. So when I started getting into the charitable world, any job I was going to take on, any position I was going to take on, was going to be in a leadership role, and I was going to break records. I was going to make more money than anybody did. And I'll give you a perfect culmination. I was, uh, there's a, a, an event in our community called the Negev Dinner for raising money to build um, uh, irrigation and, and lands in Israel. Mm-hmm. And every year they have, and the year I was there was the first year, just put things in perspective. The year before me was John Tory, the year after me was Stephen Harper. And I was in between the two. Mm-hmm. I raised the most amount of money ever done before. Um, <laughs> and at my table was my high school art teacher. And I asked her to stand up mm-hmm. to recognize her. Uh-huh. she was such an influence in my life. My wife got me Three Dog Night to play. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Three Dog Night. I forgot, of course. Okay, so Three Dog Night, basically, I, they, they played, my, my, they played my, my dinner. Wow. And, and through that dinner, again, I got, I, I, I've got to meet so many uh, stars. I was talking to Graham Nash two years ago. Like, I, like you, there's ways of mixing your, all the things that you love and bringing them about mm-hmm. and doing good successful business, successful charities, meet the things you want. I mean, I have, I have a birthday wish uh, from when I turned 60 from Larry David, which I can't show anybody because he killed him to say that he actually did that. I mean, I, I've, I've, had, I've had so many opportunities in my life to meet really interesting people or people that I admire, um, but only because, and mostly because of what I do, not between nine and five, but what I do between five and, and, and midnight. Yeah. Um- I got to hit on this because I think it's like one of the coolest things that I've heard here. Like, so we're, say like your young career, maybe mid career. So you don't have like a huge financial base or maybe you don't have that next great idea. You don't have what you need to be able to take the leap. And that means anyone who depends on you, if you've got that, you're putting them at risk. So we never put anyone at risk, any of our uh, people by taking a hazardous jump. So 
what I, when I asked you about like, what do you do with that rebellious energy? If you're in a place in your career or if you're in a company where, you know, you don't have play on that. And what I love that you just said was just take that rebellious side and first look at your community. Look what you can shake up in your community in terms of like working with charities, like help, helping them go to the next place. But also you could take that rebellious nature and apply it to your work world about doing that next, next great idea, being creative. Being rebellious doesn't necessarily mean like blowing up your boss's spot, taking on your boss or like breaking down the system. It could actually be about being creative within that system or taking that energy to do really good in the community. Is that, did I capture that right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and also being a good leader, you want to give the people that work with you that opportunity to run with an idea, to yeah. come up with something that you, that, and, and not to be critical and accept it and embrace it, yeah. nurture it. Yeah. Um, well, and, I, and I think that's a huge part of growth, understanding that you can't do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. I learned that from Richard. Uh, when I, the first time, I was always a lone wolf. I always got things done by myself. And I realized if I wanted to take the next step in my career, I had to start cooperating and start depending only on myself and understand that people aren't going to necessarily do things the way I do them, but that doesn't mean they're wrong. Yeah. yeah. Well, why this is so compelling to me, what you just said about like, if you're, you've got, like, you are a bit of a rebellious person, like I'm super rebellious and I always have been. And it, again, it's brought me great success, but it's cost, it's cost me, man, big time. And I've, I've been very lucky and fortunate and worked hard to get myself in a position where it's like, now it only works for me and it works for me real well. But I had to learn some tough, tough lessons. And, you know, when I'm working with people who have a bit of that or are rebellious, they often feel it's like, you know, I just got to get to the right place or I got to get to find the right people. But it's always kind of there often seems to be this like I got to push against the the leader. I got to push against the system. And so when you're saying like, hey, you actually can be within that thing, be super creative or take that energy out into the community and do good work there. I'm going to share with you an example. Um, when I worked in the, in the social services, uh, I worked with a guy who was really smart, super charismatic, really, really super smart, very rebellious. And he was an utter nightmare to work with because the things that he had an issue about, he was right. He was the smartest guy in the room. He totally knew what was right, but the system wasn't going to go that way. And he took up so much space with all of his stuff and he made the work environment so awful and so negative. And it was always about his battle with the leader and the battle with the system and this and that. And not only did he create such a bad vibe on the team that there was massive turnover on the team, the organization, so it was a social services organization. It wasn't as successful helping people as it could be. This guy stayed stuck in his role for years. And he, he actually literally, he, he's still in that role for as far as I know. And that's like, I don't know, like 10 years ago. For me. And I got to say, like, I think about that, like, he's like, I always think of him as the like, you could have been great. Like if you'd taken that spirit, that energy, and you just been like applied it in different ways, you could have changed everything, man. You could have gotten yourself in a position where you literally got into a, a level where you could change the system or you could be that kind of boss. But instead, you just ended up being this like uncomfortable dude that everyone avoided. And that kind of like misdirected rebellious energy to me, I just call that foolishness. Like you're not being thoughtful of like how to get things done in a way. You're not using that spirit to do something good. You're doing something that just plays into your ego. You're being a dick. <laughs> you're being a dick, yes. 
And it's like with good cause, like there's good ideas behind it, but like you're making everything awful for people. Now, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like, you know, like what's the difference? Like, how, like what's the difference basically between like being that guy versus being a guy that like goes on or a person who goes on to do something meaningful and different using well, that? Well, I, I think, I think, I think that again, you know, I, I'm talking big, but in the end, I couldn't put up with being something and I had to leave. So mm-hmm. I, you know, it uh, shows you my, the rebellious side of me. So I, I'm pretty full of shit because in the end, if I could have managed that and stayed within my lanes, mm-hmm. I would have, I would have d- done that. But it's, you know, most rebellious people at some point in time are going to say, you know what, fuck, I can't, I can't do this anymore. It's mm-hmm. not me. Yeah. And, you know, it was at the point where in the, you know, I, I had, a, I had an Xbox in my office and, my day was based on who I was going to kick the shit out of in NFL football. So, so, and I'd be on the phone and playing NFL football and signing checks and doing this and that stuff like that. And that wasn't, you know, and, and then when I took on this new role, I haven't picked up my Xbox except for playing, uh, what's it called in, in, at my house still with, against my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, but, but in the end you can talk all you want, but if you've got a rebellious nature, you're forever trying to keep it in check. It's, yeah, it's, the na- it's the nature of the beast. You it can't, is the nature of the beast. And the question is, how can you channel it to positivity and do the things? And I learned the way I was doing it because I was going home and sitting on my computer. After, until I started doing the charitable work in my 40s, I was wasting a lot of time not with all this combustion and et cetera. And, you know, there's only so much I can play my drums after work before my wife said, get the F off the, uh, the kid already it's dinner time. And, you know, again, it's, it's, it's finding no, finding the places that you can achieve and do the most and get that rebellious nature out because you are, you're not a, a lot of people, most people that are listening to this are not going to be able to do it at work. They're not, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the reality. So you got, yeah. let's yeah, let's, let's deal with reality. But yeah. my meeting the most interesting, powerful people in Canada, have not been for my work. It's been for my charitable work. Yeah. I don't know if you realize that um, I eulogized. I was the only non-family, non-political member that eulogized Honey and Barry Sherman. I don't know if you know the story of Honey and Barry Sherman. Yeah, yeah. The couple that were murdered. Mm-hmm. So I was the only person who, in turn, of 10,000 people eulogized them. And, that's, and my relationship with them and with all, the, like, all these billionaires that are friends of mine are because of the work I do in the community. Because I don't know how to fail. Okay. So I, I, on, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, when I take something on, it's got to be kick-ass. It's got to mm-hmm. be, okay, guys, we're fighting. There's a fight here. Let's go fight. Let's go, let's go take this on. Let's go win. Let's go make this the biggest. Let's, let's have everybody, let's be the envy of everybody. Like let's, you know. So I want to talk to you about that. Cause that, I don't know how to, I don't know how to fail. Like basically like, you know, I'm going to win. Um, Tell me, tell me if there's a dark side to that. And before you answer, I'll, I'll tell you a bit about myself. So I'm a next level high achiever. I'm a crazy high achiever. And I always have people on my team every day. They're like, I don't know how you live. Like every single day you're involved in like a million things. You play in a bunch of bands, you know, you're, you run every day, you do this every day, you do that. And to me, it's just normal. It's just, this is just what I, just what I, I don't have another way of living. And frankly, I, I enjoy life greatly. So I'm not, I'm not worried about it. But for me, there's a dark side and I have major negative self-motivators. Like I motivate myself through a lot of fear-based thinking about 
Well, what would happen if I didn't work this extra hour? Or what would happen if I didn't make that phone call? And it's something that I've, I, as I've become more successful, I have been able to shed. But I have noticed for a lot of people who are real rebellious and who are very high performers, there tends to be a bit of a dark side to that thinking. So what, what can you share on that? So I, when I pray in the morning, I pray for, to, for God to give me a voice to lead. Mm-hmm. Knowing that I can't do it by myself. Now, again, I'm not, this is not like I'm, I'm a born again or whatever, or, uh, you know, a Orthodox Jew, etc. But the bottom line is, is that if you want to be the voice and you want to be the leader, you have to act like one and you have to take on the role and you have to take on the responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And that means, you know, some nights I'm working till 1130 on, on charitable stuff. And I'm doing phone calls and Zooms and, and dealing with uh, uh, issues that, um, you know, I don't get paid for. Yeah. But, the, but the payment for me is the doing good and the, the um, satisfaction of doing that. The dark side of me is, is that, you know, I'm a holo- I, my parents were Holocaust survivors. I feel guilty about the way I live, given that they lost everything. They lost their whole families. And, you know, so that, you know, there's, there's that, part of, that part of my life as well, knowing full well that, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, um, ignorance in this world. There's a lot of hate in this world. And there's a lot of darkness in this world. I think there's a lot of darkness in this world. I'm trying to shed some light on it. And that's, and that, so the dark, I, I, I try not to be dark. Like right now, my kids are devastated over what's going on in the States. And my daughters who are all uh, involved in, in uh, one my daughter is a very big influencer. She's dealing with things that she never dealt with before. And she's trying to comprehend and, 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 and get involved. And, and, and I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's, you know, coming out of the, COVID was a dark time. But it wasn't as dark as I thought it was going to be, and I, you know, I managed to, to feel pretty great about life in general that we're going to get out of this. Uh, and I've kept in touch with my my medical practitioners, and he said yesterday that you can't get it outside, so we should all be outside all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, dealing with the devastation and being empathetic to my tenants and things, I'm doing that. Yeah. Um, and 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 it's been a challenge, but. You know, challenges are usually when I thrive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So you, you mentioned something that I, I want to make sure we capture. We're heading towards the end, but I do. There's some stuff I we have to get to. And I want to hear about your your work in uh, the, well, your philanthropic work and your work in the community because they're very, very involved. So what can you tell us about that? Sure. Um, I have uh, I'm the chair of a Sunnybrook Foundation. We just came off our most successful year of raising funds. So I'm involved with one of the most important hospitals in the, in the GTA in Canada. Um, I'm the past chair of uh, the Federation for uh, Toronto, the Jewish Federation. I've worked on two emergency campaigns when there was two wars in, in the Middle East. Um, I have been honored at several dinners and awards. I have a, a what's it called? The Jubilee, Jubilee Medallion, whatever the hell that is. It was nice to get bought an Aston Martin at the same time. It was a Jubilee Aston Martin. So um, the, uh, you know, I've sat on, on, I've been chairs of of public company boards. Um, I, I, you know, I thank God I'm not chair anymore or vice chair of one of the senior housing boards that I was on. Mm. Um, You know, basically I've taken, and and usually I only like to take leadership roles because when you start to become a CEO, you don't want, you like people to listen to you. You don't necessarily want to listen and, and, 
you know, you want to opine and it's, it's pretty obnoxious. But the truth is I also love, like, like I love, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge car guy uh-huh. and, and, and there I'm diametrically opposed. I drive a Tesla, but I drive a, I also drive a Ferrari. Uh-huh. So just to put things in, in my, how my psyche that I, it's two sides of the brain, everything. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, you know, if you think of professionals, because we've got all sorts of people who are going to be listening to this. We've got people late career, mid career, young people. And we also have people growing up. So like a lot of people who listen to this podcast are also people, young people growing up in the punk scene who are kind of thinking like, well, what's my life going to be? What am I going to do as a career? So for you, if you think about it for professionals, um, why charity? Why charity work? Why does that matter? Because charity is bigger than you. And because it's, it's putting yourself out, hopefully in a, not a comfort zone and basically uh, making you realize that you're part of a community. You owe it to share in your success with the community. It's incumbent on you to be bigger than yourself mm-hmm. and your family. Um, it's interesting you say that because when, you know, a lot of people outside of, let's say the corporate world and, and I'll, I'm going to hit myself on this. When I worked, um, when I worked in the not-for-profit sector, I used to, you know, have very TV-esque ideas about people who were in the corporate world or people who made a lot of money or, or any of those things be like, ah, oh, you know, they're all about this or that. Uh, and the further I've worked into this world, the more I've been like, damn, like, you know, some of the most charitable people I've ever met, some of the most community-minded people live in this world. And, and of course, there's versions of that that aren't true, but I've, I've seen a lot of people who, who really, really care. Is that something that you always, oh, sorry. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that they're rich assholes and poor assholes? Yeah, there are rich assholes and poor assholes, 100%. So, so you're going to find incredibly people that are doing charity for the right reason, and then you're going to find people that do charity for their own grandiose. And, and you know, in the end, I've, I, what I've always said, what, you know, because everybody has their favorite charities, everybody has their own you know, beliefs and what they should be doing. I don't give a shit. As long as you're giving to somebody, that's all I care about. You have to be responsible to more than yourself. And, and, and I sit in judgment. I, there's no question about it. My friends, my business associates, uh, my oldest friends, I, I, I sit and, and and I used to do, and I've done this and, and the, you know, some of the brightest minds I know are all in the same league. And you take a look at the, the most brilliant people in the States or, in, you know, everybody has a foundation and everybody does good work. Their persona may not necessarily match what they're doing, but I know quietly some of the guys that have the most tough exteriors are busy giving away tens of millions of dollars every year to worthy causes to support Canada to support the world, to support ethnicity, everything. So oh, I love it. All right. So let's hit the music part, man. You ready to talk music? Yep. Ready. Okay. Um, so I got some stuff from Patrick here and I'm going to add in a couple of things myself. Yep. All right. So, cause you were, you were involved right when, you know, when there was like what many people now would kind of consider classic rock, but you were really quite involved when, kind of stadium music started to kind of shift over to an emerging punk scene. Like you actually witnessed some of that stuff happen. So for anyone who's in the you know, punk scene, I, I, you got to share with us, what would be, let's say your three must have must listen to like, these are the most iconic punk records. So 
never mind the bollocks absolutely the, the the greatest punk album ever made one of the greatest straight rock and roll albums ever made uh no question no question about it the first new york dolls album um just again just straight raunch um uh just incredible uh just incredible and and then a really obscure album that most people don't have their own to, but new boots and panties by Ian Drury and the Blockheads, and and uh, you know I was I was on a, a cover of the uh, National Post, a Financial Post, a part of it, and my headline was it was in uh, 2015. What uh, where's uh, retail going? And I said, pets and drugs and rock and roll, <laughs> instead of sex and drugs and rock and roll, because everybody, well, no matter how poor they are, they're going to take care of their pets mm-hmm. because of an aging population. Everybody needs their drugs. Uh-huh. And and rock and roll because entertainment is now the biggest piece of retail out there on all facets. So even in something as simple as that, you know, uh, you're talking about. I mean, the truth is, you, you know, even looking at Nirvana and looking at the whole West Coast scene and looking at the New York scene, um, you know, looking at the first television album, looking at um, CBGBs and what was going on there, looking at Blondie. You know, I think there's there's bits of punk. I, I, actually, I would say the greatest, the first punk album I ever listened to really was Raw Power. Mm, um, right on, um, You know, because Search and Destroy still is one of the greatest anthems ever written of just pure energy ever. And then again, Bolin and Bowie and Reed and the Velvet Underground and all that stuff pre-punk was punk. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And that's not, totally. To say that, not, it's not to say that Blitzkrieg Bop as an anthem or, or, or what the Ramones were doing. Um, what's it called? My next door neighbor across the street was the bass player from the Dials. So, uh, I, I mean, I, punk was, punk is really underrated. Um, and, and much more tough to play than people think. Um, particularly the, uh, I, I particularly, I think the uh, rhythm section being a bass player in a punk band is a very tough job. It is. It really is. And, 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 and a drummer keeping time. It's, 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 you got to have a lot of energy, etc. cetera. Um, I just, I just think, I think, I think punk was, you know, you get from punk to get into what's the difference really between punk and new way. Where did Elvis Costello fit in? Basically, where did the yeah. talking heads fit in? Mm-hmm. Uh, where did XTC fit in? Like, like where, you know, where do the police fit in? Yeah. You know, you know, so, so people don't realize the, um, and also even Scott, like Scott out bands, uh, the, the British Madness and all those bands and uh, Squeeze and uh, you know, RG Bargy and all these, there's, there's between 76 and 1980, there was some great music being made. Yeah, man. Absolutely. All right. So you mentioned drummers. Now we're going to hit you with the Patrick questions. And when Patrick showed me these questions, his eyes lit up in a way that I know that you two are going to have a secret language here. All right. So... Who are your top drummers? Okay, so my top drummers would probably, and, and I, I don't put any dr- punk drummers in my top drummers because mm-hmm. playing outside the beat is much more intricate for me. Uh-huh. So the greatest drummer ever was Buddy Rich, okay. who was a huge influence on, on uh, uh, Neil Peart. And Neil mm-hmm. Peart would be right up there too. Bonham does something in the first album with a double click on good times, bad times, which I've never been able to emulate. I don't know. I don't know how he does it. 
And when people do things, I don't know how they do it, that puts them up there. Stuart Copeland, an incredible drummer. Uh, the ben, Steve Gadd, who is a, a jazz fusion drummer that played on a lot of Steely Dan albums, and a lot of jazz albums, absolutely incredible. Um, uh, he was asking me because of my meeting the, the band, what I thought of uh, uh, Peter Chris, and Peter Chris was, you know, he was okay. Uh, I think that uh, Ace Freely and, and, and Simmons and uh, what's his face, uh, Paul Stanley were better musicians than the drummer was. Um, it's uh, Mitch Mitchell who played with the, with the, the top uh, when Hendrix before Buddy Miles played with him. Buddy Miles, an incredible drummer. And uh, a guy named Carl Brewer who was the drummer for Grand Funk, was amazing. But that doesn't mean I don't like Charlie Watts and I don't, I don't mind uh, Ringo Starr. And I don't mind those, you know, th those type of drummers. Phil Collins uh, was one of the most underrated uh, drummers ever. He used to play, he play, uh, they used to take Chester Thompson and, and Chester Thompson played with Frank Zappa. And Frank Zappa always had the best band and best players in the world. Hmm. By the way, I still put that up as the greatest concert I ever saw was, was The Mother's Life at, uh, at Massey Hall. Wow. All right, listen, you mentioned Ringo Starr, so I got to ask you. Do you prefer a drummer that underplays or overplays? Now, this is a preference. Which do you prefer? Um, I would say that underplays. Okay. Um, yeah, now, I, I, can, I can play closer to Keith Moon than I can play with than Ringo Starr. Because uh, Ringo was about playing in the groove. And he was a lefty playing righty. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're aware of that. I wasn't That's aware. why his shoulder's always over like this. And uh -huh. I'm a lefty. My kick goes this way. Uh -huh. my, my high hat's on this side. And uh, my snare's here, and then my, I, my floor toms are on this side. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, who was a great drummer in that vein was, was, was uh, Charlie Watts. And Charlie Watts was originally a jazz drummer. Okay. Um, and so, and you've, you mentioned it, and you started getting into it a little bit more, but something that we, we haven't got, had a chance to get into too much is, you know, you've been playing drums for a long time, and you love playing drums. Um, so are you an improv drummer, or are you a more calculated drummer? Improv, like okay. everything else. I'm putting, <laughs> okay. I'm, putting, I'm, putting a, I'm putting a fill in there anytime I have a chance. Okay, I love it. I love it. Um, so Lud Ludwig or Slingerland, and why? Lud Ludwig, because Ludwig was the original English band. Slingerland is is more of a jazz a jazz kit. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I I I go maybe with staccato drums out of Vancouver that. Uh, is played with. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I don't know if you remember those, those strange looking drums that had huge openings at the end. I don't remember. Patrick Bottom, is like... Bottom, Bottom actually played them as well. Oh, okay. Patrick is like nodding his head. He's across from me right now and he's like really excited that you mentioned this. Um, what are your musical goals? My musical goals? I don't have any musical goals. My musical goals are to basically have it as an outlet and... Uh, uh, and to learn and, and to learn and listen to new stuff. That's I, I I try to listen to as much stuff my kids play to me. By the way, I'm a firm believer that there's no bad music. Mm -hmm. There's only bad music within certain genres. Mm -hmm. Like some rap is amazing. I love I love old rap. Like I I can listen to rap as much as I can. I can listen to good punk. There's good punk and there's bad punk. There's good pop. There's bad pop. There's good ballads or bad ballads. There's good rock. Bad. There's good heavy metal. There's bad heavy metal. Mm -hmm. So I think whatever you do, you play it right and, and, and be the best at it because they've all, you know, it's, it's the middle of the road shit that I can't stand. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, here, here are my last questions, and then we'll leave it off for anything else you want to add in. All right. So, have you seen Patrick play drums yet? No, I haven't had the uh, the honor yet. So, okay. Patrick is has he, been dis- just, he just sent me a still. Still doesn't do shit for me. I got to hear. Yeah, Patrick plays in a band called Chain Whip, and Chain Whip are awesome. Like really, really, they're like my favorite local band. Um, Patrick has been described as a maniac drummer and you being a true observer and believer and also a drummer of yourself, you don't need to answer now because you haven't heard him, but I'm looking forward to your feedback. All right. So here's my next. YouTube? Is he on YouTube? Are you on, Is YouTube? Chain yeah, on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. He'll okay. send you some links. He, he said. He doesn't have to. I'll on, just go I'll Google, G, I'll Google chain whip and I'll, I'll see it. So. All right. Good. All right. Uh, next question for you. Next time Patrick is in your neck of the woods, will you hang out with him and do some kind of drummer thing that drummers do? Play drums together or I don't know, whatever it is. Will as, you long hang as, out with Patrick? as long as it's not, uh, we're out of COVID for sure. Why not? As long as you're out of COVID, you are going to hang out with Fred <laughs> and you guys can be drummers together. Okay. All right. I love it. Uh, final piece. Um, will you play in some kind of thrown together band next time that we are all together and there's no COVID, will you play drums on a track with me and Patrick and whoever else we can get together? Uh, I will, I will, as long as the kid can be set up properly. Ah! <laughs> Great. All right, man. So as we're wrapping up now, uh, anything you want to add in, and it can be anything about, you know, personal life, professional life. It could be anything about being, uh, having that rebellious spirit, anything that you want to add in that you'd like to share with our listeners as we're, uh, as we're closing off. Uh, last year when Gene Simmons was visiting in my house, he said something, and I think this is, this speaks, uh, and it's, it's, it's from Shakespeare to thine own self be true. And I think that is a very valid piece of advice and, you know, follow your passions. Don't let your day to day kill you or deaden you. Um, and, and you can achieve anything, but also be cognizant of what your responsibilities are. And that's the, that's the constant battle for a, a rebellious person to be, is to be uh, responsible, yet be responsible to yourself. And that means for your own mental health, go do the things that are going to help you to be the best person you can be. And that's, that's the only advice I want to give somebody. In the end, if you enjoy school, enjoy school. If you don't enjoy school, think about what you're going to do to make up for that. And, and think about how you're going to, you know, be, be create your own, future your own lane way your own way of doing things and don't you don't always have to be a conformist most people that did something great i think the greatest um and most uh successful human being in the world is not bezos but i think it's elon musk Mm -hmm. and elon musk may not be worth what he is but here's a guy who's sending people he's going to send people to mars and he's creating a whole different thing doing it in his own backyard i mean and he's he's a bit of a dick but you know that's 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 okay too yeah all right man listen this has been i came in you because you can see it and you know listeners can't see this but the amount of time i spent like laughing smiling uh in this conversation is huge so you really filled up my cup today man thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me and uh look forward to talking soon and uh patrick we'll hopefully get together in the fall when this uh, shit gets out of here I, I cannot I cannot wait for that. All right. Thank you so much, Fred. And everyone else, uh, we'll see you in the outro. Thanks so much. Dave, drop the beat.
That was so cool. Anyone who listened to this front to back has got to admit that Fred is a totally charismatic, hilarious, and super wise guy. Uh, I learned so much from that conversation. Something that really stood out to me was the idea of really balancing being rebellious and bringing that into your workspace and also thinking about the people who depend on you. You know, it says a lot to be rebellious, but to not do it in a hazardous and ridiculous way. You know, push the envelope, create change, bring your ideas forward, but don't do it in a way that's ridiculously hazardous or about your ego. Do it because there's a real value to it. So with that, this was uh, one of the funnest conversations we've had the show, and I want to thank everyone for joining us on One Step Beyond. One.